0: I love that song so much. There are so many parts of that that you can just hone in on and really like sit and meditate on for a little bit. What measure could amount to your desire? How could we possibly quantify the love of God, the one that leaves the 99 to chase down the one? And seeing God eight billion different ways, right? Right? All of us are divine image bearers of God. All of us have a gift. All of us have something that has the divine imprint within us. Church, (laughs) if the stars were made to worship, if creation was made to worship, the whole universe, the whole cosmos was made to worship, I pray that we are a church that joins in with that symphony. Good morning, family. So great to be with you guys today. Visitors, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really happy that you're here. And if you have any questions about anything regarding 4th Avenue, if you would like to get to know more about the church, you want to get involved in some different ways, we would love to help you with that. Don't hesitate to ask any questions. If you were to come into my office You would see that I have a poster of Michael Jordan, this is it, but it's black and white in my office, hitting his final shot as a Chicago Bull, and this was to give him his sixth NBA championship, and I love looking at this poster primarily because I love looking at every face in the crowd here, because all the (laughs) reactions are very funny. For the jazz fans, it's a face of, like, pure terror, and dread knowing what was about to happen. I love like all the people with their hands on their heads and a lot of like mouths wide open like, oh no. And then if you look at the Bulls fans, a lot of them have this confidence because they've seen this play out before many times, right? Michael Jordan normally wins games like this. I like the kid in the middle with the Bulls jersey, his hands are raised, right? He, He knows what's going down. But I love looking at this because in this moment, every single person's eyes are just locked in, totally captivated, watching greatness unfold. And I think a lot of us in our lives, we really want to do something that's great. At least we felt that way whenever we were younger, right? We wanted to do something great. We wanted to do something where people were captivated by the things that we did. We had so many dreams whenever we were young, didn't we? I remember whenever I was a little boy, I would put on a little cape and instantly run around and pretend I was a superhero. Or maybe some of you, whenever you were younger, you would put on a a dress and pretend you were a Disney princess, right? And we had these goals as a profession. To be an astronaut. To be a professional athlete. To be the president, right? We had these very lofty dreams. But then we grew up. Maybe we got humbled whenever we realized we weren't cut out for those specific dreams. I remember in fifth grade... There was this graduation video from elementary school that in the video I had a Harding University jersey on. And I said, I want to go to Harding University and be the number one pick in the NBA draft. <laughs> Those two things are incombat- incompatible, young Kyle. Uh, also, incompatible is my skill set <laughs> to get there. Uh, so I realized that that was not going to happen for me. But I think once we figure out that. We're not gonna hit those dreams. Once those dreams fade for us a little bit, we begin to start settling for ordinary. We don't see ourselves as much like Michael Jordan anymore, but we see ourselves as one of those faces in that bigger crowd, right? That there's really nothing that significant about me, or that God can't or doesn't want to do much through me. I'm ultimately a forgettable person, I'm a mess, I'm basic. I'm completely ordinary. Whatever narrative we want to say about ourselves, But is that really true? We're going to dive into that a little bit more today. Today we're continuing our series, Church on Fire, looking at the book of Acts. And how spirit-empowered people of God took the good news of Jesus to the world. And where we left off was the spirit of God had fallen on thousands of people at Pentecost. And there's this community of deep love forming the apostles are doing these signs and wonders and teaching people the scriptures and how Jesus is the fulfillment of those scriptures. And in, in chapter 3, we see a specific example of Peter healing a lame man. And in that moment, there's a huge crowd that starts gathering around, and he sees it as an opportunity to preach the gospel, and he does. And he talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture, and he, he's encouraging everybody to repent and that sets the scene for chapter 4, which is where we'll be today, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So these individuals here, these are all like the Jewish authorities, many of which had a direct hand in crucifying Jesus. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they were feeling very threatened here. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. And the word men, the Greek word men, it can literally mean men, or it can mean people in general. So whether that number is 5,000 total men, or 5,000 including women and children as well, I don't know. But the point is that there is a lot of traction Gaining with Christianity at this time. And in verse 5, it says The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. Cue the villain music whenever those two come in, because they directly had a hand in Jesus being crucified. Also, there was John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and questioned them by what power. Or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, which I love that detail there, reminding us Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And reminding us really who the main character of Acts is, right? It's not Peter or Paul, it's the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, which again, that's literally true for the people he's talking to, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, comparing Jesus to a cornerstone is very exalting, because the cornerstone is the most important stone laid in a structure It's foundational. It supports the rest of the structure. So how foundational is Jesus? Peter gets a little bit deeper into that in verse 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. This would have really hung up those he was talking to because they were self-righteous and believed that they were in great standing with God. But Peter is kind of arguing otherwise. Unless you believe in the name and the authority of Jesus, you're not in great standing with God. And that doesn't go over too well for the disciples at that time. And this is important to note. Peter here, he's echoing a teaching of Jesus himself in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is simultaneously an incredibly inclusive and exclusive faith system. We are inclusive and that as the church as people of god we are to love people like jesus we are to welcome all people and love all people deeply even if they're the worst of sinners even if they are our greatest enemy right that's that's radical teaching but at the same time christianity is exclusive in that we don't believe that there are many different paths to get to god we believe the path is through jesus through the name of jesus And now I I mentioned a couple weeks ago, salvation is a mystery, right? We don't know who all Jesus will save as we are not the judge and the savior, but salvation is through no other name. And now we get into this, what I believe is the best verse of this text in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, (laughs) they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus This verse is amazing. These religious elites, they were shocked, astonished by the actions and the teachings and the courage of these unschooled, ordinary people. I mean, Peter and John, they were not trained in the scriptures like the Sanhedrin were, the Jewish authorities. They were just your average, blue-collar kind of workers. They were considered nobodies by the Sanhedrins, but these nobodies Created some big problems for the somebodies. And we're going to come back to this verse a little bit later. But maybe some of you today, you don't really feel like you relate much to the ordinary. Maybe you feel a little more extraordinary. Maybe you relate more to the elites of this day. That you feel like you are the somebody. And my encouragement to you, if any of you feel pretty self-important today, is to never dismiss the people that you think are ordinary. I know of somebody in ministry that talked about how he hates it whenever church members would come into his office and either tell him why he was wrong about something he taught or offered constructive criticism. He just kind of felt this desire whenever they'd come in and do that. He didn't do this, but he wanted to. He's like, he wanted to point to the degrees on his wall, be like, talk to me when you get one of these sort of thing. And... I pray for myself, I pray that for all of us, regardless of the field that we're in, that we do not have that sort of mentality. That we only will talk to people if we respect their credentials enough or if they have a title next to their name, right? Because since this person believes that he's the expert, he's not gonna hear what anybody under him would say. And I think if we do that, if we dismiss people who are under us, we very well may be missing the movement in the words of God. And I'll tell you, one thing that <laughs> helps you value every single person's voice, even if they don't have prestigious degrees, is whenever the average person that's supposed to be under you comes in, and they're right. <laughs> they're right about something. That's a very humbling thing. So I pray that all of us really pay attention to the people that we consider ordinary or less than us. Maybe even particularly pay attention to children and the poor and the marginalized because God loves speaking not only through the ordinary but also those who are seen as less than. And that makes me think of 1 Corinthians 1 where God says he chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. (laughs) And confound the wise he did here in this text because the Sanhedrin, they get together because of this great fear that they have of these ordinary people. And they start plotting and scheming. In verse 16 it says... What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This response is amazing. I wonder how tiny those threats had to have been for Peter (laughs) at this point in his life, right? Think about this. Peter just spent time with the resurrected Jesus. He literally, the chapter before this, healed somebody in his name. And these people are coming in and saying, hey, you got to stop this stuff about Jesus, Knowing Peter's personality, knowing, (laughs) being filled with the Spirit of God where he is, do you think there is any part of him that actually, like, thought for a second, you know, maybe I should stop talking about Jesus? I'm going to guess no, (laughs) right? He is convinced about Jesus after witnessing and being a part of these powerful things. There's no way he's going to do this. That's why he says, I cannot help but talk about Jesus, Do whatever you want. Like, what what threats can you give to me? Am I going to listen to you or am I going to listen to God? I believe, church, that once we really know, like truly know, experientially know, the goodness of God, the goodness, how the gospel is actually good news for our lives, nothing else really matters in comparison. And then this little section ends in verse 21. It says, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide on how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Luke does a really good job of this in his Gospels and in Acts. He shows this mixed reaction, right? Some people end with praising and worshiping God and turning to God. Some people get angry, start scheming, and want to punish people. And that's a thing that we see today. Whenever we preach the good news, whenever we are living in the way of Jesus, some people are going to love it, Some people might be apathetic. Some people are going to hate it. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. And we'll stop there for the text today. But isn't this section of scripture powerful? There is so much here for us, for us ordinary people. And I would guess that most people in this room today would say to some extent that they are an ordinary person. That there's really nothing like that special about me. And I'm sure we can question, I mean, how much can I, I mean, me, how much can I really make a difference for God? I don't have any great gifts. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough experience. I don't know what to do or say. I'm not trained in this. I'm not a good communicator. I'm just a stay-at-home parent, right? I don't have that powerful story, that Damascus Road, Prodigal Son sort of story in my life. Is my story really that powerful for people? I think whenever we say these things about ourselves, what we're doing is putting a limit on how much we think we can actually make a difference for God and his kingdom. After reading this text today, though, I don't think ordinary is an excuse. I think those excuses are honestly rubbish, because what we clearly see today is that God loves working through ordinary people, and really that God makes the ordinary extraordinary. Let's take a step back for a second, okay? Let's look at Jesus' ministry. Who were the people that Jesus picked to be his disciples? Let's just take a small sample size. Peter, right? He was that blue collar, average Joe sort of guy that had a little bit of a temper. Look at Matthew a tax collector, somebody who was despised by his community. Look at someone like Mary Magdalene, who had a terrible reputation and had demons in her that had to be exercised by Christ. Like, Jesus isn't out here choosing the Michael Jordans of the time, right? He's choosing ordinary, if not broken, slash marginalized people. And also notable is many people thought Jesus was ordinary in his life. Whenever he's preaching in his hometown, people are just like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's boy? Like, little Jesus is doing, no way. They couldn't believe the amazing things Jesus was saying and doing. And like Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Can anything good come from where you're from? Jesus was seen as ordinary by a lot of people at that point. But the question remains for me, Are these people really ordinary? Was someone like Jesus ordinary? Are we? What about us? Are we ordinary people? I would argue, though the Sanhedrin saw Peter as ordinary, he was far from ordinary. Jesus said, upon you I will build my church, which we see that happening, unfolding here at Pentecost. You see him converting some of the first Gentiles. He's a prominent church leader. He is instrumental in its early spread. And that's all in spite of him betraying Jesus, denying Jesus. And also, Paul had to call him out for prejudice against the Gentiles later in his life, right? God is working through an imperfect person in Peter and doing extraordinary things through him. And I could probably pick just about every character in Scripture not named Jesus and show how that person had a significant flaw, was just simply ordinary, not having the right gifts for something, but God works powerfully through those people. Moses wasn't a great public speaker, but he went on to do amazing things. David, he was an adulterer and murderer, right? God did pretty amazing things through David. Now, I know he's not as much of an ordinary kind of person because he was the king, but still, he's doing amazing things through broken and ordinary people. And through the spirit of God, What may have been a pretty ordinary life for these people turned extraordinary. And that means the same thing for us. Whenever we are filled with the Spirit of God, we should check our ordinary at the door. But Kyle, you don't understand. I don't have any special gifts. That's a lie. The Spirit of God has given you gifts. They may not be the ones that people notice and are more aware of. You may not even be aware of what those gifts are, but you do have gifts. And they're important gifts. But Kyle, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my story. You don't understand what I've been through or how much of a mess I am. You're right, I probably don't. But I can tell you that doesn't matter in regards to whether God can work powerfully through your life. Because we have the same power that breathes life into all creation. The same power that instructed the seas how to flow and where to stop. The same power that moves tectonic plates in mountains and tells them to sit where they are. The same power that is, the respons- is responsible for all the healing and the miracles in Scripture and in our lives. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, right? That same power is living in you. So church, we are not ordinary. <laughs> so those excuses like David and Sarah of saying, I'm too old. Or whenever people are looking at David as he's about to fight Goliath, he's like, no, he's too young. Or whatever excuses, whether that's your trade, well, oh, I'm just an accountant. I'm just, I don't know why I pick on accountants. Uh, <laughs> um, whatever the trade is, I, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm good at. Or whether it's I've done too many horrible things or I'm too messed up for God to do anything through me, whatever excuse it is that we like justifying why we are not sufficient enough for God to do powerful things through, that needs to be totally destroyed today, church. We have to stop with our excuses and placing limits to how much of an impact we can have by partnering with the Holy Spirit. Placing limits on ourselves, I think that's a tactic of the enemy, because what happens is we become Sideline, We start coasting. We start drifting in life because we don't expect anything better to come from it. But the ultimate reality is there is no life, or there is no limit to a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. There is no limit at all to what a Spirit-empowered life can do, church. In Christ, we are more than conquerors, right? We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Jesus didn't die and rise and give us the Holy Spirit for us just to go back to these old narratives and the old way of living, right? Our old self is crucified. We are given a new identity in Jesus to not fall back into fear or to not just coast through life and drift. We are given a powerful and abundant life. So let's start living like it. And that, that's not just y'all, this is me. Let's, as a church, start living like we have the power of God inside of us. There are so many ordinary people throughout history that because of their faith in Jesus, because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they have done amazing, amazing things that have helped change the world. One such example of this is Rosa Parks, who was a devout Christian before she became a a big name. And before she was big, she was a seamstress. That was her job. I'm sure there's not tons of publicity around being a seamstress at the time. But because of her commitment to Jesus, her devout beliefs as a Christian and her love of justice, because she refused to give up her seat on the bus, she has forever changed the history of civil rights for the positive. Thinking about someone like Corey Ten Boom, a Christian who was a who whose family was in the business of watchmaking and lived during the time of Nazi Germany, she was in Holland. And her story is fascinating. But she helped save over hundreds, hundreds of lives by providing refuge for Jews who were trying to escape. And ultimately her family was caught and they were put into work camps and some of her family died in those camps. And she was able to afterwards forgive those people that harmed her family, and she created rehab centers for people recovering from the Holocaust. This is a watchmaker. This is a business person, right? And those are some high-profile people, but on a more personal level, I think about some of the missionaries I lived with in Mozambique. The Howells and the Westerholms and the Smiths, their families, they did amazing things. They, They are probably considered ordinary people by most of the world but they had this conviction in their heart to see God's kingdom come to this earth. And so they went somewhere where there wasn't much of a a gospel presence. And they they have planted dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. And over a thousand people, this is a conservative estimate, I don't know how many, at least over a thousand people have come to know Jesus through their work. I think about even more on a personal level for me, the stay-at-home mom that with one sentence, one word of encouragement, forever altered my life to make me want to pursue Jesus more. These are just a few examples, church. People deemed ordinary by the world because of their deep-rooted love for God, though, they have forever impacted other people or the world on the whole in a dramatic way. But even if you don't change the world on that level, right, Regardless of your life stage, regardless of your gifting, you can be faithful where you are today and do extraordinary things through the Holy Spirit. You can encourage those who are broken in spirit. You can speak truth into somebody's life who needs it. You can give other people the radical gift of being fully present with them, not distracted by phones, not distracted by emails or work or anything else, but just being present and being a listening ear. You can help radically change people's lives around you because the Spirit of God is inside of you. And like the reaction we see from the crowd in response to God's work through Peter, stepping out in boldness, right, with the good news, and speaking of the life-altering, life-changing love of Christ, this helps people draw closer to God, draw nearer to God. And that power, it's not with ourselves, but through the extraordinary power of God within us. And though that is one response that we get from living in step with the way of Jesus, as we saw, there's oftentimes another response. Like from the Sanhedrin, one of persecution. And we're gonna talk more about early church and church persecution in general next week. But if you are radically loving other people, and you are walking in step with Christ, you are going to be threatening a lot of people's way of life. You're going to be causing some problems. You're going to make some powerful people frustrated. You're going to make some religious people frustrated. But when you do, remember this, the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just as Peter and John faced threats and jail time for what they believed here, for their spirit-empowered work, whenever you face persecution because you are aligned with Jesus and you are radically trying to love people in the way that Jesus loved and you're facing resistance and persecution, that means you're probably doing something right. Whenever this world is addicted to darkness, the Holy Spirit is kind of a therapy. The Holy Spirit is the light or the healing that begins to break into that darkness. So whenever we do that, you can expect there to be a resistance. But whatever resistance we face, church, whatever the cost, it is worth it for our King. So this morning, if God gave you the gift of whatever your trade is, maybe that was to give you a mission field. If God gave you a hobby or a passion. Maybe that was to help you build bridges with other people who share that hobby, and so you can show them the love of Jesus. Maybe you're experiencing, or you have experienced, a a past of hardship, and you might question, God, why did you let me experience the stuff that I did? Well, maybe you experienced that past so that you can help give somebody else a future. Maybe if you're just now starting to feel this conviction in your spirit or this calling or this purpose in your life right now and you're frustrated as to why you didn't feel this whenever you were younger, well, maybe that's for such a time as this. Church, this morning, I believe that God is calling us, all of us, to live empowered lives through his Holy Spirit, not just to buy into the narrative that I'm ordinary and God can't work through me. Let's sit with the Lord today and really ask some questions ask God, what do you have for me in my life? Who or what in my world can I influence for Jesus through your Holy Spirit? And I'm sure many of us in here today have stopped trying to dream big because of the limits that we have put on ourselves, but I pray that this morning we step out in boldness. And let's get a God-sized dream. As a church... As an individual, let's get a God-sized dream, a dream of how in our individual lives, how we as a church can radically impact our peers and our community and our world for the sake of Christ. And maybe you can already feel a dream coming in your heart right now. And maybe God is going to reveal to you what dream he has for your life. But if we're asking for God to give us that dream, And to work powerfully and mightily through us. I know he will deliver. I know he will show us that way. I just pray that we have the heart that is open and the eyes to see it. Because God wants to do something amazing through us, church. Each each of us as an individual, but as a whole body of believers as well. I really believe that. So let's dream together. Because there is no limit. what a church empowered by the Spirit of God can do. And if you have any prayer requests today, if there's anything going on in your life that you need prayers for, if there's something hard in your life, if if you're wanting some prayers and some help and guidance in navigating whatever dream or whatever conviction you might be feeling, or you're wanting to hear from the Lord in that way, then I'm going to encourage you to go around the room and pray with any of our prayer leaders and our shepherds. If there's something you want to pray about in terms of something that's a celebrating thing, you can do that as well. And we're going to have a baptism here in just a second too. So if, uh, water's going to be running. So if you want to keep that train going, we can do that as well. <laughs> but whatever whatever the need is, whatever's going on in your lives this morning, please do not hesitate to, to pray with somebody about them. And you can do that as we're singing this next song. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. I mean, Your spirit is the greatest gift, and it has forever changed us. And we're thankful for partnering with you and your mission, And, and Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts, that you give us your dreams, that you help us be a church that is lifting up your name to the world, not for... The sake of making our church's name bigger or anything like that, but for your name alone to be raised. And Lord, I pray that you help us move past these excuses that we have that I'm too ordinary. Lord, I pray that you convict us and give us your boldness and your courage and remind us that your power is within us. And I pray that you help us to become aware of this power, tap into this power. And help us live by the Holy Spirit in everything we do. Whenever we're in the checkout lines, whenever we're in traffic, Lord, help us. Empower us to walk in step with Jesus. And help this church extraordinarily move in this community and in this world. We pray that many people come to know you through our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name.